Monty, and I respect his ministry so much. And one of the things that Monty really emphasizes with his group is prayer. And before Monty went to sit down, I just wanted to ask him about that. Uh, tell us what you do and kind of why you do it. Yeah, so maybe the why first and then the what after that. Um, we were talking this week, and, and one thing that um, became real clear to me uh, quickly in, in first days of youth ministry was that my job was not just to get students to a building and think that they're going to they're gonna love God more just by coming and sitting. Because most of the time we come and sit at a church, we just come and we sit. We don't interact with each other a ton. We do some, but not everybody. We just kind of, those around us maybe. Um, and, and we come, we worship, and we hear a word from the Lord. We commune and that kind of stuff together. But I wanted something that they could take with them through the week and wanted something that would connect them to God all the time. And so one of the things that quickly became apparent was our students need to know how to pray. And for a lot of our students that we first worked with in the early days, they really didn't know how. They would come and they hear someone at church, but it it wasn't really that catching the idea of how to pray. How do I pray about the people in my school? How do I pray for the people in my school? How do I pray about things in my life and pray them, you know, about more than just the weather or help me to have a good day because those prayers tend to be so shallow. And so we just started saying we want to teach kids to pray and teach students to pray. And so we did that. We've done it in high school, done it in middle school, even done it with mega days. So the, the kids that come to elementary camp, um, they come and they learn how to pray as well. And, um, and, and so that was going in part of our heads and part of our thoughts and, and just how to teach students to pray. But then this other thing happened, and, and we would sit in a Bible class, and I know this probably never happened in adult classes at all, but it happened in student classes, and we'd say, hey, we need someone to pray. And we'd just sit there, and there'd be no one raising their hand. In my head, I'm thinking, something's wrong here. We're coming to church, a place surrounded by, you know, surrounded by believers, and we're not you know, willing to pray. Well, we need someone to read the Bible. And again, no one would, would do that. And so there's something wrong. We can't speak about God outside of this building. We can't speak about God inside this building. Right. And so we started doing something. We said, hey, everyone raise your hand. So when it's time to pray, everyone volunteers. When it's time to read a verse, everyone volunteers. And, uh, and it just became something that kind of started almost as a joke, but then became very real um, to us. And so we did that for a long time. And then it kind of occurred to us that we'd say, hey, everyone pray, or is anybody willing to pray? everyone raised their hands. We're picking, you know, one or two or three or four people to pray. There were so many more that were getting left out. And I felt so bad in my heart that I couldn't call on everyone. And so we said, what can we do? And so we just started praying the Lord's Prayer together. And so we put the words on the screen and we just say the Lord's Prayer together. And one of the things that's neat about all of our middle schoolers, all of our high schoolers, um, if they're coming with any regularity at all to, to church here, they've got this memorized. And they know it because we do it so much of the time. It's almost every kind of thing that we do that. So we thought it'd be kind of fun today just for us to all begin by saying the Lord's Prayer and then let Kelly just continue preaching after that. Is that okay? Okay. Well, you guys show us how it's done and, and we'll follow your lead. Okay. Let's all pray this again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the Thank you, and thank you so much for being such a wonderful example and challenging us to pray in a, in a deeper way as well. So we're in the season of imitation. I, my name is Kelly, and I'm one of the ministers here, and I'm just so glad that all of you are here. But the season of imitation is a time when we as a church, we want to go deeper. We want to go in, into the, the innermost parts of our heart, and we want to ask God to change us and to mold us more into His image. And so we're, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. 
But uh, there were, in staff meeting and, and with our leaders, we were talking about how we really wanted to have some kind of a project that we could do together as a church during this season of invita in, uh, imitation, especially on the 40 days that lead up to Easter. And so that's going to be starting sometime really soon. And so we've come up with a, a project, and it's a scripture writing plan. And I don't know all that much about writing scripture. I've never done it. And so I've asked some, some folks to come and help me. And so uh, if Malena and Sid and Amy would come up, uh, I, would, I would like to just uh, pick your brain and, and kind of just learn a little bit more about how this is all going to work. So... First of all, Melena, uh, tell us about the plan that we've got here. So this is a scripture writing plan. You see it up on, your, on the screen there. And it starts on this Wednesday, March 6th, and it goes all the way through April 20th, which is the night right before Easter. So the idea is to, to get us all in the same, um, following the same scriptures, writing the same scriptures day after day. They're kind of surrounding this, the sermon that will be uh, preached that Sunday and uh, supporting, the, the verses are supporting that. And um, so every one of us will be doing the same scripture every day. Oh, I love that. So, Sid, are you really artistic? Do you ever write scripture? I, I do. Well, tell I'm, us a little bit about I'm guilty. How, why you do it and how it looks and, and how you're blessed from that. Um, one of my earliest memories as a kid, <clears throat> I'd get up in the morning and my mom would be drinking black coffee, no cream, and reading her Bible every day. That was, a, that was an example that is still in my mind. You know, so I realized at some point later in my life, that was probably a good thing to do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer. It wasn't until after I got married, I started trying to read my Bible on a regular basis. And then Amy goes, have you ever tried journaling? I go, eh, journaling's for sissies. <laughs> but somehow... Great example, patience and perseverance. She stuck with me. And I started, you know, when I read my Bible, read, write a scripture that really meant something to me. And then that just kind of started being written on my heart. I got a good friend that I learned from that said that when you write something down with your hand, you're five times more likely to remember it. And that has sort of, now God's word is better written on my heart and in my head. Oh, good. Thank you. Now, I think we've got a picture up here that I'd like to just show. Uh, we can, which one is yours and which one is Amy's? Mine's on the left. All right. I think we can tell that. Amy, you really have developed this, and I think some of your, create, uh, your, your creativity comes out in this. Can you tell us how your life is blessed by writing Scripture? Well, I will say for a long time I watched Sid get up every morning and be in the Word. And sorry for me crying, but... Talking about Jesus makes me cry. Mm. Um, and I just kind of kicked myself for a long time because I didn't have that discipline. Uh, and then hit some hard times in life and realized I have to have that discipline to make it if I'm really going to believe in this wonderful God. So I started, and then I found out that if I would write a scripture down that I felt like God was really impressing upon my heart in the reading that I had to slow down and really think about it and really take it in and savor the words. And, 
And in slowing down, I understood better what it meant. And I really, God changed my heart and my life when I started doing that. Uh, as we know, the word is alive, and it became alive to me. Mm, I love that. I love that story. So we're hoping that everybody can do this, okay? And so we've got these. Tell us a little bit about how to get these, and, and how can we use them, and where can what about in our house, and how, how would they be used? All right. So right whenever we dismiss today, there'll be a table in the back. There are copies of the scripture writing plan. Some of them are laminated, so if you are um, a destructive person with your papers, get a laminated one. Or if you have multiple people in your family, and you know it's going to be on the coffee ta- or the breakfast table and have things spilled on it in the morning, pick you up a laminated one. If you're, if you're on your own at your home, and you're just going to fold it up and put it in your Bible, you can get just a regular one back there. But um, um, Gary has some pictures of a few other ways that you can do this. You may be artistic like Amy. You may be not artistic like Sid. Um, you may have children in your house, and you may decide, hey, I want to write most of it out for them, but I'm going to leave some blanks for my child to fill in. Or um, I may write one verse and let my child color it. So there's different ways to involve everybody in your whole family. Um, okay, so... So uh, you can put it, what I would love to see us do with this is to put them all around your house. As you, as you write a scripture, post it on the refrigerator or put it on a wall. Wouldn't it be great if your hallway was just filled with God's word and you, you saw it every time you, you walked down the hallway of your house? I love that. And so as a church, let's really embrace this and see what God can do to us as a community as we follow along, as we write scripture. I hope that it results in really good conversations as we ask, well, what did God teach you? How does this working in your house? Things like that. So uh, we'll be starting that this week and you can pick those up. And yeah, okay. And you can pick that up on the way out. And we're going to have a hashtag on that. It's going to be AM Scripture Writing. Okay. So we'll have more information in, in CCB as we send it out this week. Thank you so much. And may God bless this initiative of writing Scripture. So we're in the point of our study of the Sermon on the Mount where. Jesus says, this is how you pray. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you tried to do something and you'd say, oh, I wish I knew how to do this. We live in the world of Google and YouTube. And so it's amazing what you can learn how to do by just going to Google and YouTube. In fact, this past week as I was kind of looking into this, I found an article where Google actually gave the number one searched for how to. How to do this. What do you think people ask more than anything else according to Google? How to. It's not how to pray. Wouldn't that be great if it was? It's actually how to tie a tie. All right, did anybody get it? All right, how to tie a tie. In fact, I, I looked that up, and in less than one second, Google was able to find 1,910,000 hits on how to tie a tie. So there's a lot of people out there that want to tell you how to tie a tie. I think that's great. Not long ago, or actually several months ago, 
I saw a news report about a lady. Her name was Kara Brookins, and she and her family uh, had to leave an abusive situation in their house, and they wanted to go someplace else, and they came up with this crazy idea. How about if we just bought a piece of land and built our own house? None of them ever knew. They'd never built a house before. They just had this crazy idea, and they said, you know what, there's this thing called YouTube. We can look it up on YouTube and build a house. And you know what they did? Within nine months, which blows me away, they built this house, and they did everything, everything except for the electrical and the air con, because the state required them to have a licensed uh, technician for those But they built this entire house just by asking, well, how do we do this? And going to YouTube. This morning, we're going to ask the question, how do we pray? And we're going to go to Jesus Christ himself. There's no better source on how to pray than Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I hope hope you'll open your Bibles and follow along. Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, and if you'd like to use one of the pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 685. Now, for most of us, and I think I can speak for most of us, prayer's not very easy. I'm the first to admit that. This is a little bit of a confession here. We made out the preaching schedule many, many months ago, and... I was given this passage, and I said, oh, this is going to be a hard one. Then we had a a possibility of a guest speaker, and it so happened that the weekend that he was free was this weekend, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but when I heard that, I went, yes, because I don't see myself as really knowing a whole lot about praying, and that's That maybe is something that all of you could say. Prayer is hard work. You have to be focused. You have to be disciplined. You have to set aside time and really, really focus on what you are taking to God. And most of us are too busy. We don't ever do it. And really it's not that hard, but sometimes I think we make it harder than it really should be. And sometimes it's also difficult to wrap your mind around prayer because even if you look up at verse 8 there, right before we get to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, don't be like the pagans. God already knows what you need before you ask. And you know, and you can, you can imagine what your brain does with that. Well, if God already knows what I need before I ask, why am I praying in the first place? And so we need to go back and we need to let Jesus teach us about prayer. And so Jesus says, this is how you pray. The first word is our. If you take notes in your Bible, perhaps you'd want to circle our and maybe even look through the entire prayer for the number of times that our or us is used. It's not about me it's about us really prayer is a community conversation it's not merely just individual with me and God it's a community conversation according to Jesus and so as I was studying through that I said I thought to myself perhaps I should pray with my eyes open more 
to look out, to look into the faces of others, because this is our prayer together, according to Jesus. And then Jesus says that we are to approach God as Father. We observe in what leads to this narrative on how to pray in verse 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus is saying, don't be like the pagans in their approach to God, in their approach to prayer. Now, pagans here is not, we're not talking about atheists. Pagans would be people who are very, very religious and their religious focus is on to a deity or a god. And they try to impress their deity by their acts of piety or by their many words, trying to get their god's attention. When I was a missionary in Thailand, I saw an example of that almost every day. Right near our place of worship where our church was there in Bangkok, we had what we call the Erewhon Shrine. And it, this is... one of the most sacred and popular places for people all over Asia to come to pray. My friends told me that it was a prayer portal. That if you pray there at the Erewhon Shrine because of its because of its its reputation and and the number of worshipers that come there, that the portal for the prayers to go up to the deity is very large. And so people come 24 hours a day Seven days a week, they are there praying. And you might notice they've got candles, they've got incense sticks, they've got flowers, they put wooden elephants out there in front of them. And then if you'll notice there in the back, there is a, a group of musicians and there are some dancers and there's people there on their knees praying. And what they have done is that they've paid extra money to to the musicians so that they could get the dancers to dance and this would wake up the God. This would impress the deity and their prayer was more likely to be answered. But Jesus says, don't try to impress God. That's not the way that you go to God. You pray to our Father and our Father already knows what you need. Now this word Father is a word that really we've, we're so used to it that it probably doesn't, uh, it doesn't sound very radical to us. But in actuality, Jesus praying to God as Father was really one of the most radical things that Jesus said and did. In fact, I read this uh, in preparing this week. German theologian, Yahim Jeremias, he said... There is not a single example anywhere in the extant Jewish literature, including the Old Testament, the Talmud, the Targums, and so on, until the 10th century A.D., where a Jewish person addresses God directly as Father. That is, it simply wasn't done. People, should speak, <clears throat> people would speak of the fatherhood of God among the Jewish people, but no one would address God directly as Father. And so here Jesus calls God Father, and Jesus teaches us to do the same thing. And I think that we really need to spend some time meditating that we can actually call God 
our Father. Because this is foundational to all that we do, to our spiritual formation. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. And so we go to God from this position of relationship, not trying to impress God by our piety or our deeds or our words, but approaching God as our Father, our Father who knows what is good for us. If you go on to the next chapter, Jesus talks a little bit more about prayer, and he uses this concept of how much more. If, if your earthly father loves you and gives you good things, how much more will your spiritual father, your heavenly father, give you? In fact, I love the way the message puts it in Matthew 7, 10 and 11. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You are at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Now I recognize there are terrible fathers out there. There are fathers who will will choose to abuse and, and not act as God would want them to act as fathers. And so, so that's not what Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus is saying, generally speaking, even, even just us regular dads, we want to give what's best for our children. If that's the case for us, don't you think it's even more true about God? And so... We approach God, our Father in heaven. And if you do a word study here, you can probably see, you'll you'll find that the word heaven would probably better translated the heavenlies, our Father in the heavenlies. And so I was thinking as, as 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 we're talking about prayer here, that we're here in this physical world and God is in the heavenlies. And it's almost as if, when we pray, we've got one foot in the world and we've got one foot in the heavenlies. We've got one foot in our physical domain and we've got one foot in the spiritual domain. And, and so in one foot, uh, in, on one side, the realm of the physical, we have the mundane daily needs. We have our daily bread. We have the, the idea of forgiveness and releasing the burdens of guilt in our heart. And we have decisions and wisdom and priorities and then on the other side we have one foot in the spiritual where it's it's this majestic and eternal realm it's a realm where there are things going on that we can't see where we we are, are processing God's name and what that means and God's kingdom and what that means and God's will and what that means and so in in going to God in prayer, we have the glorious and we have the common. We have the big and we have the little. We have the majestic and we have the mundane. We have the, the low and we have the lofty. 
And I'm wondering if maybe this was what Paul was thinking about when he wrote in his letter to the church at Thessalonica that we should pray without ceasing. Because if we think of prayer in the conventional sense where we we go off by ourselves and we just pray, it's hard to pray without ceasing. But if we pray with this idea that in prayer we're actually standing with one foot in this world and the other foot in this world, we're actually navigating this this intersection between the spiritual and the physical, the majestic and the mundane, we can live like that and we can pray without ceasing because we we can go to our work, we can go to school thinking, yes, this world is not all there is. There's something bigger going on. We can live like that in our homes. That, that, yeah, this is what we're seeing right here, but there's something much bigger going on in the realm of the unseen. And so we pray to our Father in the heavenlies, and we say, Hallowed, hallowed be your name. Honor your name as holy and sacred. Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored, revered, esteemed, and treasured because it's out of the heart like that that everything else flows. We are to be people who worship. We gather to worship on Sunday morning, but we worship all week long, every moment that we are alive because we hallow God's name. Your kingdom come. Jesus is talking here about rain, about aligning our wills with the will of God our Father. And I can understand this a little bit more having been a parent because because I remember times when my will as a parent wasn't really aligned in the same way with the, the will of my child. And so we would always be working to try to align our wills. And so we pray, God, as we hallow your name, may your glorious and sovereign and kingdom rule whole sway without obstruction everywhere in the world, beginning in my heart. May your concerns be my concerns, and may your priorities, God, be my priorities. And God, what you love, I want that to be what I love as well. Your kingdom come around the world. And in my heart. And then Jesus says, Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. It's praying, Oh Father, cause your all wise, all good, all just, all holy will to be done all over the world the way the angels do it perfectly and with great joy in heaven and make it happen in my heart first and foremost. And so we pray with one foot there in the heavenlies and we think about God's kingdom, God's name, and God's reign. But then we have the other foot in the realm of the physical world and we pray, give us today our daily bread. We say, Father, I'm not asking for a bounty of riches. I'm asking for bread, just enough to give me life. I want to live, I want to be healthy, and I want to have a body and a mind that work. Would you give me today what I need for my body and mind? I will not be paralyzed by worry and fear about having enough for tomorrow. 
Give me today my daily bread. And then Jesus speaks to our heart, our emotions. He says, forgive us our sins. We pray, and Father, I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven every day. I can't live and flourish with guilt. I will die if I have to bear my guilt every day. I have no desire to hold any grudge. You know, when, when we belong to Jesus, our sins are washed away, but Satan is so good to whisper into our ears and say, you know, you need to do more. You know, you, know, you shouldn't have done that. How could God love you? Look at the way that you think. Look at the way that you live. Look what you've done. And we keep being reminded of our failures. And so it's important for us to say, God, make that reality of your forgiveness something that I live with every day. Father, forgive us of our sins. And Father, I know that I don't deserve this forgiveness. The more I realize this, I begin to understand that I have no right to withhold forgiveness from anyone. And so, Father, I want to let go of all the offenses against me. Please have mercy upon me and forgive me and let me live in the freedom of your love. And so here in this prayer, we ask God for physical sustenance, our daily bread. We ask for emotional freedom. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. And with God's supernatural provision to live in this way, God frees us of bitterness and of anger. These these emotions, these feelings that are like cancer in our soul that eat us away. We can find that true freedom from God. And then we get to the phrase, and lead us not into temptation. More accurately, this should read, lead us not into times of testing. And so we pray, God, protect us from the difficult, the difficulties, the evil occurrences, the tragedies, misfortune, disease, and so forth that come as part of our life. This part of the prayer admits our frailty and human limitations living in an evil world. And so we ask, for, we ask God to spare us from these trials, this testing, these difficulties. However, when we do find ourselves in those situations, when we do find ourselves in those times of life where, where we're bombarded with, with confusion, where we're wrecked with pain, both physical and spiritual and, and emotional, we say... Father, spare us. But if we're walking through that, remind us of your presence. Deliver us from the evil one. We ask for God-given wisdom to not fall prey to Satan's schemes, Satan's plans, Satan's desire to have our heart. Sometimes we let either our prosperity or our pain impact our allegiance and devotion to God our Father. And so we pray, deliver me, Father, from the evil one. Protect me from Satan's ways. Make me wise to Satan's schemes. Please, dear God, grant me a pure desire to walk in holiness. And so here we have this prayer, this simple prayer that God has given to us. It's a prayer that speaks to the heavenlies. And it's a prayer that also 
speaks to our earthly needs. But it's really a prayer of releasing control. It's a prayer in which we say, God, we are not in control. We can't live this life. We can't live in this world all alone. And so we need you. We need you to give us this vision, this wider vision of the scope of life. But also, God, we need you to walk with us and provide our day-to-day needs. And Father, you and you alone are in control. And so I release my physical and I release my spiritual well-being into your hands. And I will align myself, I will align my will with your will. And I want you to use me to help others see that deep and lasting life of blessing with you as king of my life. May your name be hallowed in my heart and in this world. So I would like for us to end by saying once again this prayer that Jesus gave to us to teach us how to pray. Would you say it with me? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. May we be people of prayer. You know, this prayer would not be possible without Jesus. It's only because of Jesus that we can call God our Father. And Jesus calls us, pleads with us to come into a deeper relationship with Him. So, I don't know how you are feeling the need to respond today, how this is going to impact the way that you pray. I don't know what your needs are. It may be that you want to pray with someone. There'll be people around that, want, uh, that w- would love to pray with you. It may be that you'd like to know more about Jesus, the one who makes all this possible. It might be that you would like to be immersed into His name so that you can live with that knowledge of knowing that you are united with Christ Jesus. So whatever need you might have, we would like for all of us to respond together as we stand and sing.